1: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What do you do? What are you doing? The biggest winner from the stay-at-home economy finally disappoints. Do you dump the entire COVID cohort, or do you stick with it on a day where the Dow rose 185 points, S&P climbed 1.13%, and the Nasdaq gained 1.28%. Yes, yes, yes. I'm talking about the reaction to Zoom video communications after reported a very good quarter that wasn't quite good enough for Wall Street. This company is practically synonymous with the new normal. I think we'll look back on 2020 as the year of Zoom. So when you see the stock down 15%, it's alarming you got to wonder what that means for the rest of the stay-at-home stocks. The answer? Nothing. Just because Zoom's insanely high growth is decelerating a tiny little bit, that doesn't mean the trend is over. In fact, I'd argue that it never, it's never going away. Because this year has shown us that millions of jobs can be done better from home. No need for that central office. Why go to meetings to negotiate or sign documents? when you do everything over the web and save millions, maybe tens, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars in travel, in hotels, in dinners. Zoom? I mean, that's how the $39 billion S&P Global IHS market deal was consummated, as we heard last night from CEOs Doug Peterson and Lance Ugla on Mad Money. The truth is, people are confused about Zoom, and that confusion created opportunities all over the place today because the immediate pin action from when I was on Squawk on the Street, it was (laughs) wrong. Let me walk you through what happened here, starting with what should be obvious. First, I hate to break it to you, but Zoom video reported some amazing numbers. Did they obliterate the estimates? Yes. Did they furiously raise their forecast? Yes. Normally, that'd be enough, but they didn't reveal gigantic contracts from big corporations. They uh, they, they didn't say that they stole uh, huge uh, slots of business from competitors, which made people worry that the gross margins aren't as great as they used to be because the company's handling lots of smaller clients who use the service for free, trying to upsell them instead of going after elephants and whales. Of course, when you consider how much the stock has run over the past 11 months, you could argue maybe even it was due for a bit of a pullback. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the stock is up 500 percent going in. That's a lot of money. I think the stock got overheated. End of story. It's certainly not bad news for the stay at home thesis. Not when Zoom made a heck of a lot more money than Wall Street was expecting. How strong are these stay at home stories? Are they all teetering? You know what? We're going to go down them. Because I'm tired of hearing that this one's just like I'm tired of hearing about Fatang being over. I'm tired of hearing that the stay at home is over. First off, this morning, Amazon got dinged off the Zoom carnage, was getting hit. It was an incredible buying opportunity, as word got out very soon that Amazon had a fantastic Cyber Monday, something that should come as a surprise to no one. COVID cases are exploding right now. You see those numbers that Dr. Gottlieb's talking about? Holy cow, it's an Amazonathon, And we can finally see a light at the end of the tunnel with these upcoming vaccines. But I bet a lot of people stay home for the next few months and order everything they need off the Internet, because why risk getting sick? When you're this close to the finish line, I just ordered some uh, kind of spacesuits for outside on Amazon. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, where are you going to get them? I'm going to go to the store. Buttressing Amazon, you got FedEx, which caught an upgrade from Barclays that talked about acceleration of e-commerce market adoption. That sure doesn't sound like the end of the stay-at-home thesis to me. Second, let's come at this from another angle. Let's talk about Micron, symbol MU. The gigantic commodity semiconductor company guided up significantly this morning, and the stock surged to a 20-year high. It wasn't that long ago that CEO Sanjay Marotra came on this show with the stock at $41 and told us it was way too cheap. So Mike Brown would buy back shares hand over fist in the open market. At the time, I felt like you couldn't go a day without some analyst slashing numbers, trashing the stock. Well, today it surged to $67. I'm talking about a huge win. Sanjay, come back. Good work. More importantly, Micron has a heck of a lot more pin action than Zoom video. Their DRAM and flash memory chips go into all sorts of gadgets, including the hardware you need to set up a home office. That's another sign the work-from-home story remains strong, and it's not what we call a pull-through, where it's not going to be any good three months from now. I say that because last night, Dell Technologies told us the story of a fabulous holiday season. If your house is your schoolroom, And it's your home entertainment center. And it's your office. Well, guess what? You need more than one family PC. You need a boatload. And that's what's driving the revival of laptops. It's an extraordinary cycle. And it's far from over. After listening to Michael Dell last night, I think that Dell, the stock, is a must-buy. Third, got still more evidence that Apple's having a very Merry Christmas. We keep hearing about the long lead times and issues with availability, which tells you demand for their products is off the charts. This stock has been stuck in the mud, but today got its groove back up 3% pin action there. Qualcomm, Skyworks Solutions, and a host of others that you know I like. Fourth, after the close today, we found out that Salesforce.com is buying Slack Technologies, the business collaboration software kingpin. Listen to what Slack said last week. Quote, In a normal post-COVID-19 environment, CIOs expect 38% of employees to work from home routinely, up from 18% pre-crisis, with 94% expecting work from home to remain a durable trend. That's extraordinary, people. Before the pandemic, only 17% of CIOs, uh, uh, of companies that have more than 20% of employees working from home. Now, post-COVID, it's going to be 75%. You think that's a trend that's going away? It's secular. It's growing. Sounds good to me. I like the deal, by the way, with Salesforce. We talk. Hey, you know what? We're going to bring Mark Benioff later on to talk about his great quarter and the acquisition. How about the people who think Zoom's supposed slowdown signals a slowdown in the economy? Well, oh, that's insane. First, again, Zoom's doing great. But more important, Zoom's total disconnected from the broader economy. When you look at the cyclical smokestack stocks, they tell a very different story. The railroads keep hitting new highs. The car companies are in great shape. Last night, Carvana told us the used car business is hot. Freeport-McMoran, our largest copper producer, has arguably the best chart in the entire book. This morning, Alcoa, our biggest aluminum company, said demand's getting stronger. Nucor, America's top steel maker, has a stock that suddenly is worrying. So is the stock of Westrock, the commodity cardboard maker. All the chemical stocks are going crazy. You can't believe those runs. That tells you the broader economy is in good shape. What else? Airbnb's coming public, planned $35 billion valuation. When no one was traveling during the lockdown, Airbnb's business suffered. But now we have a pandemic thesis that's blowing the doors off. People want to travel. They just don't trust hotels. They hate the elevators. They'd rather rent out somebody else's house and just, you know, bring these and wipe it over. Okay? Might not, right? Finally, it's pretty clear that we can get... And we could get a stimulus deal from Washington that will tide people over until we get a vaccine. More on those negotiations later. I prefer a bigger relief package than the compromise proposal we're hearing about, but half a loaf is better than none. Now, let's go back to Zoom for a second and that so-called horrific 15% decline. Zoom represents the zeitgeist like nothing else. In a negative market or even a neutral market, its breakdown could have crushed the whole complex, actually crushed all the averages. But because we're in a rip-starting bull market, the pain was cordoned off, And most stocks that got dragged down by the negative pin action ended up rebounding, some of them sharply. Bottom line, despite what you heard this morning, vast swaths of our economy remain very strong. And that includes the stay-at-home stocks. A good market can shake off discouraging news. A great market can ignore it entirely. James in Ohio. James. Jimmy, chill. Booyah. Chill, man. What's up? Hey, so I'm a blind guy from Cleveland. I'm a new investor. Been listening for about two months now. And uh, you've been talking a lot about how the car companies are booming, moving a lot of inventory. I'm thinking those cars are eventually going to need new tires. What do you think of something like Goodyear for a new well, investor? Well, I, I, you know what? I worry, uh, and thank you for calling, James, but I worry that the farm, uh, they, they dump China. Everybody dumps tires here in our country. And they shouldn't be allowed to, but they do. And that is what crushes the tire business every time it lifts its head. So I say stay away and we would kill Kareem Hunt to get 14 points this weekend. All right, don't get confused. Zoom does not equal the whole market. This market remains strong. Uh, of course, we're worried about everybody who's been laid off, but the market's a little different from those. We may have money tonight. Salesforce is making plenty of headlines after the close. I've got the exclusive for the CEO, Mark Benioff. Then as the electric vehicle space continues to heat up, I'm eyeing yet another play in the space-coming public via SPAC. And remember, I don't love all of them. Plus, I'm tackling the technicals and eyeing some of the biggest names in tech to see if they still have some bite in this market. So stay with Kramer.
2: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to MadMoney@CNBC.com, or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Resourceful small business owners know how to get value from the purchases they already make for their businesses each month. The Enhanced American Express Business Gold Card is designed to take your business further. It's packed with benefits and features like four times membership rewards points that automatically adapt to your top two eligible spending categories every month on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. So you earn more where your business spends the most. Plus up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible business purchases at select shipping, food delivery, and retail subscription merchants. And with flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business and access to 24-7 support from a business card specialist, you can continue to run your business with confidence. The Amex Business Gold Card, now smarter and more flexible. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Enrollment required. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com businessgoldcard.
3: Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds thanks to AI.
0: Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction.
3: Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block.
0: Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com designed for work. Yeah.
1: This time of year, I'd be out in San Francisco for Salesforce.com's big Dreamforce conference. But even though they're doing a virtual conference this year, they still managed to start things off with a bang. Ah. Salesforce just reported it for the close today. And while they delivered a big top and bottom line beat with robust guidance and an incredibly strong close to the quarter with huge free cash flow, the real story is that they're buying Slack Technologies, the collaboration software company that came public last year. And they're doing it for $27.7 billion in cash and stock. Slack's been struggling to compete with Microsoft. As part of Salesforce, they'll have the heft to take on anybody. Do not take it from me, though. Let's check in with Mark Benioff, the founder, chairman, and bankable CEO of Salesforce, now that it's a Dow stock, to get a better read on the quarter and the Slack deal. Mr. Benioff, congratulations, and welcome back to Mad Money.
4: Jim, it's always great to be with you. Thanks for having me again.
1: Uh, You know what? I'm not going to mince words. I want to know right now, with this acquisition, $27 billion acquisition of Slack, I think the key question is, are you positioned to take on Microsoft as the future of enterprise software?
4: Well, Jim, first of all, let me just say, wow, what a quarter we had. I mean, you can just see we just had a monster Q3. It was phenomenal beyond our expectations. We're now coming in to an incredible year next year from 21.1 this year to 25.5 next year. Incredible. But you're right, Jim. Slack changes everything and makes Salesforce a whole new type of company, a company that is truly architected to work from anywhere. Now, we have already introduced Salesforce work from anywhere a couple months ago. You know that. But now with Slack, it really supercharges our approach and lets all of our customers re-architect their workforce to be truly from anywhere.
1: OK, so look, I mean, I, I've known your I, I know your deal style and I've been listening to these different analysts and some are saying the deal's too big and some are saying he has to do it because he's out of growth. Now, here's one a Salesforce engagement. They got to do it. The timing is curious. Teams has already won. I mean, this guy's saying it, it all the time. I hear the deal's too big. How are the last two too big deals?
4: Well, Jim, of course, whenever you do an acquisition, you get these narratives from people who maybe are not even in the software industry. They have no idea what's happening with customers. Let me tell you what's happening with customers, Jim. Customers are re-architecting how they are working. They're building a 360 degree view of their customers. They're building a 360 degree view of their employees. They have they want the ability to work from anywhere and to connect to their customers from anywhere. And you look at the opportunities today incredible. Number one, selling from anywhere. I mean there's never been a more important point in history to have your B2B Salesforce or even your B2C Salesforce to be able to connect directly with your customer or service from anywhere. Our customers are performing so well because that's how our product was built from the beginning. Now with Slack, it provides this incredible, incredible window into a collaborative interface onto all of our services and the whole enterprise Can itself. you do
1: three times the sales of Slack that was reported just now?
4: Well, I have big dreams, Jim, you know that. And I mean when I was first on this show in two thousand nine, I think it was I mean, I can't remember where our revenue was. I think it was about a billion dollars. You yeah, know, so here was, we are. It was eight hundred million. It was eight hundred million. Now we're talking about twenty-five and a half billion next year, and you know, Jim, I have a fifty billion dollar dream, which is what I'm shooting for, and you know, I feel very, very excited and motivated on everything that we need to do to double the company once again. And to make that happen, we have to architect a complete solution, which is selling, service, marketing. You mentioned our integration, incredible product line with MuleSoft has performed incredibly well. Tableau, you know that uh, company we purchased that about a couple years ago now. It's far exceeded my expectations. And now Slack, incredible. And all of these together making up the most modern, most complete and most
1: competitive enterprise solution in the world today. Let's talk about competitive, because I know Stuart Butterfield, I think the World Event, I know his counsel, and I know what Microsoft's been doing. I know that they've been bundling. I know that they've made it so it's almost difficult to even try the, I regard, superior product of Slack, because Teams is bundled. They'll give it away if they even think that you're going to go to Slack. How can you take that company on?
4: Jim, Look, I'm not going to address any specific competitor. I'm Why just going to tell you. <laughs> we, know ex- we know exactly how to be successful in the software industry, and that is to make our customers successful. And look at this quarter. We had an incredible transaction with American Family Insurance. If you know the CEO, Jack, he's incredible. A complete match on our values at Salesforce. He's doing a fabulous job there. When you look at our ability now to take that whole implementation to another level with Slack. you know, Everyone is excited about what's possible now uh, between the combination of Salesforce and Slack.
1: How about Zoom? It looks like a new customer win. I know that their, uh, their quarter was only unbelievably fantastic sure. and not amazingly unbelievably fantastic, but they're expanding I, fast. And I know you've got a good relationship with Mr. Yuan.
4: Zoom is another huge customer. And you know that I love Eric and wow, he's done a fabulous job. And by the way, Zoom is a tremendous partner of Slack. And uh, Slu- S- Zoom and Slack together have incredible integration. You've probably seen, you know, Slack has all kinds of applications, integrations. It's a whole industry. It's an economy. It's not just a company, Jim. It's a brand. It's so many exciting things. And when you bring Salesforce and Slack Together, that's a marriage made in heaven.
1: Well, is it time to do a real alliance? I mean, is it time to have Atlassian in there? It's time to have uh, we we know we love Todd McKinnon from Okta. Uh, we can do. I mean, why can't you put everybody sure. together and say, okay, listen, these this is the new alliance. Well, Jim, what do you think we've been
4: doing? I mean, that's what we That's what we do every single day. We help architect our customers' solutions. We have the most successful cloud implementations in the world. We are the fastest growing enterprise software company ever. You can see the numbers. It's incredible. And it's all built on a foundation of customer success. Another amazing story for the quarter T-Mobile. You know, Mike is doing a fabulous job and he has doubled down on customer 360, really built on the foundation of our whole communications cloud. We've been talking about that all year with our, you know, AT&T win, you know, in the first quarter. You can really see the whole industry pivoting. But but this is what the
1: customer wants. The customer wants a different interface. They are tired of going toggling to Microsoft to you. I mean, why is it happening? Why is it happening? It happens, Jim,
4: because when you use Salesforce, your company is just far more successful. The ability to connect with customers, the ability to communicate and now collaborate deeply with your employees. And ultimately, to bring those two ideas together, employees and customers collaborating together I mean, there's never been a solution like this before. And, you know, we're already deeply integrated with Slack. This is just an upscaling of our existing relationship. They're literally in the building next to us at Salesforce Park. Well, I mean, tomorrow's
1: tomorrow's it. Tomorrow's going to be the keynote. Would you talk about being a half a trillion dollar company? Is that a little birdie told me that? Jim, I, I mean, I
4: I want to have a, it has to be a great company, yes. but it has to be a great company that serves customers. And it has to be a company with great results. And look at these numbers, not only great revenue growth, look at the operating margin growth in the last two quarters as well. record numbers, that is what is exciting about Salesforce. We are deeply connected and deeply committed to our customers and making them.
1: Amazing cash flow, which I know is kind of, a a lot of people already got it wrong. They didn't understand that you did a couple transactions that were very positive for shareholders. The cash flow was extraordinarily strong.
4: Cash flow, whoa, look at our cash flow. Enterprise software companies have never delivered cash flow like we've had. You've had that right all along since we've been talking, but not just cash flow, pure growth. You know, market share, profitability, all the KPIs. That you want in a great company and ultimately customer success. That's the most important thing to me. I have to be honest with you, Jim. Nothing was more important than the trust I have with all of our customers. And one of the things that I love about Slack is how much the customers love them.
1: Okay. And when I want to mention that I have a partnership with Mark uh, for a charity where we're doing, uh, this is an yes, S- XPRIZE slash mask. It's XPRIZE.org slash mask. And we're going to reveal five masks story. on Thursday. All
4: right. XPRIZE.org slash mass. Take a look at these kids all over the world building next generation of mass. It's really exciting, Jim. Congratulations. All right.
1: Well, congratulations. I hope to have Stuart Butterfield on pretty soon because he deserves uh, to have his day in court, so to speak, because it's not over. This does not cure what they were doing.
4: It only accelerates all of our work, Jim. We are here to re-architect the industry and make customers successful like never before and give them the horsepower they need in their sales, their service, their marketing, their communications, their collaboration. And this combination
1: of Slack and Salesforce does just that. All right. Thank you so much to Mark Benny, a founder, chair, CEO of Salesforce after a good quarter and a gigantic acquisition, biggest ever. Thank you so much, sir. Man Money's back after break.
3: Canva presents unexplained appearances.
1: But the Dow and the Nasdaq surging your new record highs again... what's leading this market. It's bang. That's right. It's Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and the artist formerly known as Google. Last year I told you not to write off these winners, especially Google, because they've got too much going for them, regardless of how the economy's doing or how the pandemic plays out. This group has languished for the past month, seemingly going out of style on the Wall Street Fashion Show. As money managers flock to small caps, cyclical names, oils, yeah, anything that can so-called deliver monster earnings growth when we all get vaccinated and the world goes back to business as normal. Now, they've seen uh, the seen as COVID trades, frankly, and many investors think that COVID trades, yes, their days are numbered. Witness the market's poor reaction to Uber COVID trade, Zoom's blockbuster quarter. Tell you the fangs showing signs of life again. As you know, if you watched my show last night, my gut says they got a lot more room to run. But because this is a crazy moment in a crazy market, you can't just go with your gut. You have to take a more quantitative, more empirical, less emotional approach to stock picking. At a time when we're torn between soaring COVID cases and the vaccine lurking right around the corner, it can be tough to get your bearings. We know the winter will be terrible. We know that the fang stocks have thrived during the worst parts of the pandemic. And we know that the pandemic's going away next year. Although we don't know when we'll have enough vaccines for herd immunity. In an environment like this, it's tough to put together a forecast for the next few months. So why don't we do this? Let's try something else. When the fundamentals are unclear, you know what I like to default to? Technical analysis. Which is why tonight we're going off the charts with one of our faves, Carolyn Brodin, the brilliant technician who runs FibonacciQueen.com website. She also happens to be one of my colleagues at RealMoney.com. Rodin took a look at some of the fang charts. She didn't include Google, but I already told you that's a dynamite one. And she liked what she saw. There's always an element of uncertainty with the technicals. But if these big tech stocks can hold above their recent lows, the Fibonacci Queen says they could go higher, maybe much higher, in league with me. yep. even though they've already had massive moves this year, she thinks they might have potentially a lot more upside. Why don't we check this? How does she come to the conclusion? Let's start with the daily chart of longtime Kramer fave, yes, Apple, own it, don't trade it. This thing peaked in early September, right? And then got clobbered as big tech rolled over, and people decided to write off Apple again. For the past couple months, it's bounced around between 100, 120, 100, 120. Broden points out that Apple's most recent low came in a week ago at 112. Okay, get this, I love this. At 112.59. And she thinks that could be a major pivotal low, a major turning point. Why? It comes down to her methodology. She measures past swings in a stock, then runs them through the prism of Fibonacci ratios, a sequence that repeats over and over and over. In nature, uh, it flowers in pine cones, small shells. And for some crazy reason, definitely the stock market. In Apple's case, she found a cluster of Fibonacci price relationships around 112. Okay, now this is really important. The stock ended up bottoming less than 10 cents above that Fibonacci floor. Okay, it's not just price. Broden uses the same tool set of the other axis of the chart. She looks at the time. Price, time, okay? She spotted a cluster of Fibonacci timing cycles coming due last Monday and Tuesday. These are dates when there's a high chance that a stock changes its trajectory. Sure enough, Apple bottomed on Tuesday. Put it all together, and she thinks last week's low could be an important one. The kind of turning point moment that allows Apple to get some traction again. If that's the case, then the low holds, and Brogan would see the stock running to 127. 130, maybe as high as 136, taking out that. And if all goes well, it goes to 147. So, you know, those who own Apple, not, you know, all these analysts say, oh, I just did the channel check good the 12. <laughs> Shut up. Next up, check out Amazon's daily chart. Oh, this one, is a similar story. Broden points out that Amazon made a key low at 2,950 on November 2nd. All right. So you can see this low. Uh, that like Apple, that low coincided with a bunch of her Fibonacci price levels and time cycles. Good call. Since then, Amazon's been working its way higher, climbing to three thousand two hundred and twenty today. Remember, everyone decided this one was no good either. Uh, and she says as long as it holds above two nine five oh, you're OK. More gains. Her targets. Amazon could sprint to three thousand four hundred sixty one. Three thousand five hundred eighty one. Three thousand six hundred forty-four, and do I hear three thousand seven hundred and thirty-seven dollars, and potentially even higher before it runs out of steam? Nice. That one doesn't look as good to me as Apple, but she, she's doing. Fibonacci, and that's one of her absolute faves. Okay, how about Facebook? All right, this one gave you its latest low at 264, roughly three weeks ago. Everyone wrote it off there. A couple of bucks above some big Fibonacci price levels. Coincided perfectly with the cluster from Fibonacci Times she nailed this one entirely on the bottom. Again, that tells the stock, it tells you the stock could be ready for a more sustained move higher, even as it's already rebounded to 287 in a spectacular session today. Broden says that as long as Facebook holds above that kilo. It should be smooth sailing with a stock headed for $306 at a minimum. Hey, maybe cruising to 318 or even 342 as it blows through that level. Finally, there's Netflix, arguably the most controversial of the Fang names because it reported some subpar subscriber growth last time around. Lately, though, the stock's turned around. Gee, it doesn't hurt that they have a huge hit on their hands with Queen's Gambit. Proving management can still churn out terrific new programming. Just like Facebook, Netflix made its most recent low on November 10th. Is it not amazing that these all trade together? No, because they're all in these same ETFs that people put together. Um, and Broden had a bunch of Fibonacci timing cycles coming due on February 9th through February. Uh, I'm sorry, on November 9th through November 12th. See these? They all came due. Uh, that's the symmetry factor. The last time Netflix got hit with a big decline was back in July. OK, so we take a look at that. Uh, the stock fell $108 before turning, uh, $108 before turning around. This time, the stock fell $109. Look at this. This is perfect symmetry. And then it started climbing again. Now, I know that seems like a silly thing to focus on. But Broden notes that many stock swings show this kind of symmetry pattern. You repeat the last step, advance or decline, then the move exhausts itself. If that sounds really stupid and obvious, I agree. The thing is, stupid and obvious happens every day, and the stock market can make a ton of money. Between the symmetry of and Fibonacci timing cycles, Baroden thinks that November 10th was a launching pad for Netflix. As long as the stock doesn't fall below $463, that's the level we don't want it to breach, she predicts a lot more upside. Long-term, the Fibonacci queen says Netflix could rally all the way to $603, up nearly $100 bucks from where it is trading right now. The bottom line, if the FANG stocks can stay on the market's good side, then the charts, as interpreted by Carolyn Barodin, suggest they got a lot more room to run. I think she's right. This is the point on the calendar when money managers crowd into the year's biggest winners to show their clients how smart they are. That means winners like Facebook, like Amazon, like Apple, like Netflix, and of course, you know, I think Google, should keep winning, at least for the next four weeks. Get in these stocks, people. Stop letting people tell you, you got to be in Conoco. All right? There. Okay, let's go to James in Illinois, please. James. Hey, Booyah, from the Homer Superman. Really? I didn't know. I thought yeah, he was from, uh, like, uh, like a different plant. Krypton. <laughs> I thought he was from Krypton. No, Are you from Krypton? Illinois. Is that in metropolis, your Krypton? Illinois. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought he was from Krypton. Uh, okay. On, on October 13th, you recommended Data Dog. Yeah, the dog. that's been a- I believe that's been its yearly high, so I'm asking your recommendation. Oh no, Data Datadog is terrific. You know, I mean a lot of people just feel the stock got overheated. But this is one of those companies I wish it didn't have the name Datadog, because it's absolutely there are a lot of companies that would like to acquire this company if it came down at all. So I think you're fine. It's a really well-run company. The quarter was fine. I don't know why everyone was picking on it. Anyway, uh Uh, Clark Kent, I think, is from. I think Clark Kent's from there. I think that Superman is from the planet Krypton, okay? And I'm from Kirby's Fourth World. Banks showing signs of life again, and the charts suggest that they got more room to run. Are you in any of these? are you so busy owning Freeport? Okay, there's much more bad money ahead. As demand for electric vehicles continues to increase, online one play coming public in the electric vehicle space that could charge higher on the trend. And yeah, that's right. I actually might like this one, but uh, you don't want to miss my take on, huh, I'm not telling you. And many Americans work, uh, workers need help. And, and, and will they get it? Will Speaker Pelosi, Secretary Mnuchin and lawmakers give them a hand so they can make it across the COVID finish line? I care about this and you should too. Plus all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. Last month, the electric vehicle stocks caught fire. That is always by Tesla, which surged 46% in November. It's now the sixth largest publicly traded company in America. But we saw even bigger moves in the smaller, more speculative, way more speculative energy, the electric plays, especially the ones that have recently come public by merging with special purpose acquisition companies. Now, this whole group was roaring until yesterday, when many of these electric vehicle stocks imploded... And that breakdown continued today. While Tesla keeps climbing, the Tesla derivatives got put through the meat grinder. Nikola, the company that's working on a hydrogen fuel cell-powered truck, lost a quarter of its value yesterday, shed another 15% today, because they had to renegotiate their partnership with GM after the stunning fraud accusi- uh, accusation what was it, uh, just a couple of months ago by Hindenburg. Remember the, the uh, hedge fund that was shorted? Uh, even the more legitimate operators had a bad day. Fisker. Fischer's working on an electric SUV. It's kind of cool. Uh, it's run by a brilliant car designer, but after running up 91% in November, the stock shed more than 6% today. QuantumScape's developing a better lithium battery, and its stock has been an incredible performer, up nearly 160% since I recommended it in October. It spiked like crazy after completing its merger with a special purpose acquisition vehicle last Friday, and today the stock gave back some of those gains. It plummeted 25%. Now, if you bought it on my recommendation, I am begging you, I am begging you, I am begging you, I want you to please, tomorrow morning, take something off the table. Nobody ever got hurt taking a profit. No, I'll never get tired of saying that after 15 years. I said the same thing yesterday about plug power. And I'm reiterating that it's not too late to take something off the table on that stock, which I like much lower. And I love green hydrogen. The whole complex, from workhorse to fuel cell, to ballad power. You know what they look? They look peaking. Sell, sell, sell. The Chinese place, they got hammered, too. I I questioned about Neo last night. It it went down even after Goldman Sachs recommended the stock. Of course, he had to sell all the way up. and he switches it to a hold. Thank you. I don't think it's done with profit-taking, either. This is why I'm always telling you there's no Chinese Tesla. There's no next Tesla. There's just Tesla. At least for now, it has no rivals. Yet these electric vehicle startups keep merging with special purpose acquisition companies to come out public without the hassle of an IPO. A couple of weeks ago, we got another one. It's called CIIG Merger, and it's combining with Arrival, the British electric van developer, and a deal that values the company at $5.4 billion, <laughs> billion here, billion there. I mean, now, we've been trying to cover these deals to, so that you know what to avoid, most of them, and, and you uh, see what's a good opportunity, like QuantumScape. Yeah, with the electric vehicle stocks pulling back hard after last month's epic run, this week's a good time to catch up. So I'm going to tell you about three of these electric SPAC mergers that haven't closed yet. Tonight, we're going to start with ChargePoint. That's an electric vehicle charging network that's coming public via a merger with Switchback Energy Acquisition, SBE for all you home gamers, in the deal that was announced near the end of September. This thing's already had an incredible run. A month ago it was at 13, now it's at 29, and it's, uh, it's pulling back roughly 21% over the last two days as the electric auto plays got short-circuited. So is Switchback worth buying into weakness here in anticipation of the charge point deal, or does the stock have a lot further to fall? Frankly, I'm actually torn on this one. In the end, I think it's too risky to bet on switchback, even into the teeth of the sell-off, because the stock's still way too expensive. It feels overheated. It feels overhyped. It needs to come in more. That said, though, unlike so many of the other ones that I've been covering, where a special-purpose acquisition company pours money into some early-stage electric vehicle startup, ChargePoint's a real business, not a business plan in search of a business, but a real business that matters. With ChargePoint, you're not betting on some unproven hydrogen technology or an unproven truck design or an unproven manufacturing capacity. This is a 13-year-old company. It's already built out one of the largest electric vehicle charging networks in the world. They've got a compelling business model, too. ChargePoint takes a capital-light approach. Rather than running their own stations, they sell other companies everything they need to electrify their parking spaces. We're talking network charging, hardware, software subscriptions, maintenance, support. It's all tied together by a mobile app that tells drivers where they can recharge. I really like this. They've got more than 4,000 customers, running a network over 115,000 charging sites. So I don't think it's crazy when a SPAC like Switchback comes in and offers to merge with ChargePoint in a deal that values the company at $2.4 billion. They'll be able to use switchbacks cash to pay down debt and expand overseas. If you think fossil fuels are the past and electric vehicles are the future, then we need to build out a lot more charging infrastructure, something that will be easier to do with Joe Biden in the White House because Democrats love alternative energy. Somebody needs to make the technology for these charging stations. And hey, ChargePoint's business is already pretty solid. From 2017 through 2019, their sales increased at a 53% compound annual growth rate. That's great. However, 2020 has been rough thanks to the pandemic. In the first half, their sales came in at nearly 68 million. That's up just 9% year over year. The new charging station business was pretty much flat, but the subscription revenue kept soaring up 39%. While they have real sales, they're not yet profitable, and the margins aren't improving very rapidly. That said, it's nice to see an electric vehicle play with actual revenue, sales. I mean, like, they do something, and then they get paid novel. Listen to what ChargePoint CEO Pasquale Romano told CNBC's own Phil Lebeau right after the switchback news broke.
4: We're very different. Uh, This is an established company. It's uh, had a 10-year track record of shipping product, uh, supporting customers. Uh, We are in revenue. We do not have the the risks of of a pre-revenue company.
1: I want you to think of this one as a virtuous circle. More electric cars on the road mean the more demand for new charging stations. More ubiquitous charging stations means more people can drive electric cars because it's easier to travel long distances without running out of juice. If we can get to the point where 3% of North American cars are electric, just three, ChargePoint believes they can do a billion dollars in annual revenue. That's going to take a long time. Honestly, you know what? This was pretty compelling. It's a compelling pitch. But then again, as usual with these things, let me give you some worries, concerns. First off, I am concerned about competition. I think this industry can get very competitive. ChargePoint has their own technology, but it doesn't seem to be anything groundbreaking, frankly. I don't know if there's really much of a mode here. Tesla does the same thing. My fear is that as the market opportunity expands, many players will move in looking for a piece of the pie. I could live with that worry if the stock were cheaper. However, it is very, very expensive. We know from when the deal was announced, the switchback ChargePoint combo is valuing itself at $3 billion. That's the pro forma number. We know there'll be roughly 272 million shares outstanding once the deal closes. That works out to $11 a share, which is what Switchback thought ChargePoint was worth a few months ago. You know what? I think that's a lowball number, but with Switchback at 29, anticipation of the merger, you know what? This one is overextended, the bottom line. There's a lot to like about ChargePoint, the, the company. It's less speculative than most of the electric vehicle plays. It's a real business, real products, real sales. But after the massive run-up in all things electric over the past few months, this stock is way too pricey. Sell, 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 sell. sell. I say let's wait for the deal to close. And then if history's any chance, any guide, any guide at all, the new ChargePoint stock will swoon. And then we pull the trigger. Might be worth betting on if you can get it in the teens. Not up here, though. Stay with Kramer. It is time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy, time for the lightning round. We'll start with David in New York. David. Hey, Jim. I really appreciate you taking my call. I love the show. Thank you. My question is, what do you think about Wells Fargo in the long run? Okay, in the long run, that's different from right here. Because at 20, I think you can go back to 26, 25. But it's got Charlie Sharp. He's a a magician. He's going to make this thing work. It's cheaper than all the other banks. I bless it. But please let it come in a little. Let's go to Ed in Virginia. Ed.
3: Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, And thank you for all you
4: do.
1: This is East Virginia Ed. I bought Snap at the dip. Is it time to keep half? Sell half and go shopping. Well, if you bought the dip, then that means you probably might have been buying it at 17 to 20, which means you got to take out your cost basis. And then you let the rest run and don't even look at it. Just let the rest run. Uh, Pinterest went up very big. And snap, they are the alternatives to some of the others. I think you're in great shape. I want to go to Bobby in New Jersey. Bobby. Boy, uh, Jim, greeting greetings from South Jersey. Oh, what my God, friends? really? Margate? Yeah. Bentner? Where are we going here? Maze landing. Not bad. I'll <laughs> see that in Orasian Cherry Hill. What's up? All right. What are your thoughts on Kinder Morgan? Um, I don't like the pipeline companies. I don't like the oil companies. I don't like the whole complex. I think that it's a bad complex. I think I want you to stay away. Okay. Let's go to Jim in Texas. Jim.
3: All right. Booyah. Booyah. I've got... Uh some Roku. I bought it at 110 it's oh, uh, is uh, uh, for uh, two- Sir,
1: it's at 285 Tomorrow morning, I want you to at least sell... Uh, 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 sell it! Sell the common stock. Sell the 110 And then forget that you ever own Roku. You'll never get hurt. If it goes higher, you'll still make a lot of money. And I and you will sleep better at night. Which is often what needs to be done. No! 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 Phil in New York! Phil! Booyah, Jimmy Chill, big booyah from New York. How's it going? It's going well. How about you?
3: Jim, stocks gone up 34%
1: in the last month, in the last 30 days. I'm calling about MU. I picked stocks for a living. Did I pick a winner here, Jim? You picked a winner and it's still inexpensive. I'd actually hold on to that one. If we get Sanjay, let's get Sanjay back on, okay? Sanjay Morocha, he's my hero. He said buy it at 41. How right was he? We need to go to Eve in Wisconsin, Eve. Hi
0: Jim, thank you for taking my car. Of course. Nutanix. Hold
1: or sell. Man, what a competitive space. I'm gonna have to say, I'm gonna have to say no go. I really am. I'm just gonna say no go, Nutanix. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: Legacy time. Who wants to go down in history as the leader who saves small business? Will it be Treasury Secretary Mnuchin or Speaker Nancy Pelosi or both of them or worst case, neither. In the future, people are going to study this particular period the same way we studied the Great Depression, the financial crisis of the malaise of the late 70s. Young students will read about it. They'll decide who was heroic, who recognized that some things are bigger than politics. And look, you want to be on the right side of history for Pelosi and Mnuchin. That means they need to save all the struggling small businesses and the millions who've lost their jobs. They could do a lot worse than embracing this compromise proposal put forward by a bipartisan group of senators today. It's a $908 billion package that takes some spare funds from the Federal Reserve. Part of that last stimulus throws in a few hundred million uh, billion more to act as insurance for small businesses that are being crushed by this pandemic through no fault of their own. Not to mention $300 a week in extra jobless benefits for the unemployed. Hey, that's half of what we. We were paying in the spring and summer, but it's a whole lot better than nothing. And maybe we can get these food lines down in this great American country of ours. While the broader economy is doing OK, as I outlined at the top, there's a ton of pain concentrated in the industries that are directly impacted by COVID. And with new cases exploding, I bet a lot more people will lose their jobs, something we'll probably see at the beginning of like this non-farm payroll report on Friday. Back in March, when it felt like the world was ending, Secretary Mnuchin worked hard with Democratic leaders in Congress to put together a huge stimulus package, including the Paycheck Protection Program. My partners and I took money from the PPP for an inn and two restaurants, so I know firsthand that it worked. That money let us keep the restaurants open as long as the authorities would let us, and the inn's now doing well. But so much of the restaurant industry is dying here because they can easily become COVID hotspots. You can't really run them safely without ripping out a lot of seats, replacing the ventilation system. Uh, that's too expensive for most independent operators, but not for those big chains they are going to win out in the end. The Mnuchin-Pelosi pact kept the economy going, along with a little help from, from unbelievable, well, actually it's not little, but great help, from J-PAL, Federal Reserve. What a waste if they let all these small businesses go under right when the finish line is in sight thanks to all these fantastic vaccines and warp speed. We already spent $2 trillion up the economy. Are we really going to let 40% of our enterprises die because our leaders can't make a deal with their angry Lots of these companies, like our restaurants, got a rent break and decided to mothball until the vaccine widespread enough to give us herd immunity. We're committed to losing money to become the last man standing when we beat the pandemic at my joints. But we can afford to take those losses. So many others simply don't have that option. I mean, look, for me, it's a hobby. Okay, this is real life for most people. We see all these ads for different credit card companies talking about buying small, patronizing local, about helping businesses that might go otherwise go under. I say go for it, but it's not enough. Some problems are so big only the government can solve them. That's why we need to tide the country over, bail out the small businesses, give people who've lost their jobs extra unemployment insurance. Again, in a few months, we're going to be vaccinated. We're so close to the finish line. We just need one last push from Mnuchin and Pelosi, one last compromise, and we can get there without devastating whole swaths of the economy. There's no time to waste. If our leaders want to be on the right side of history, they need to make a deal, and they need to make it fast. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.